it's a mix of a numbers game and also how do we regulate our emotions around finances enough to like then get to look at those numbers with loving detachment. Hello and welcome to Fuck Yeah, the podcast where we say fuck yeah to queer and trans wealth. I am one of your hosts, Sarah, and I am joined by my very goth co-host, Robin. How are you, Robin? I'm pretty good. I'm recovering from the flu, but I'm happy to be human again. It was real rough. And um, yeah. What's giving you a fuck yeah right now? Okay, so I don't think I've mentioned it on the podcast over the summer, well, I, I was realizing a lot of like compulsory things that I do in my life. And one of them was shaving my legs. And I, oh. I was like, oh, I've never actually made the decision for myself that I want to shave my legs. It was something that I was got the message that I would be a hideous monster if I didn't. <laughs> so I decided not to be a hideous monster and sh have shaved my legs for decades. And I, it had never even occurred to me to think about like, do I want that? And so I decided to stop shaving my legs and have hairy legs summer. And it was a process like I'm not a super hairy person. And it was still very difficult for me. And also once my leg hair grew out, I mean, it was like, it's pretty bushy. I mean, it got, mm -hmm. it was substantial. And so I just really wanted to like, get to the point where I could accept it. Right. Did you get there? Well, it took me a while. Like it, it was very nerve wracking for me. Like I, to just go out in public or even like we would have queer pool parties and I would have a nervous sensation about showing my legs, oh. you know, and but I pushed through it. I was like, I knew that that wasn't mine to carry and that I want to accept my body for what it is and then decide if I want to change that appearance. You know, I want it to be my choice. And mm -hmm. so by the end of the summer, I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I like my leg hair and I like it particularly where I'm wearing like calf, you know, like ankle boots and like saw, you know, and just I had like an aesthetic down. I enjoyed it. And now I'm at the point I realized where I've integrated it. Ooh. It just went into the ether of my bodiness. Like I no longer think about it. You know, because I don't think about uh, my arm hair either. That's awesome. Because it's just me. And so welcome leg hair to, into the fold <laughs> of being an acceptable body part. I love this about you. And I did something similar in my 20s mm -hmm. and absolutely decided to start shaving again. <laughs> it's gnarly. <laughs> you gotta sit with it. But I, I feel like it's sitting with the shadow side. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much diversity in what people's bodies can look like. And we yeah. just really try to funnel it down into this like one thing that just, it's making me more and more mad as I get old. This, this is another thing that I noticed, like, I'm like trying to resist wanting to do anti-aging things. Oh, I was noticing something about my face the other day is that as I'm getting older, 
the expressions that my face can make is nuts. And it's only because like I have more, there's more going on with my face and it's more pliable. (laughs) Like it's like when you're young, it's like you have natural Botox or something, your face barely moves. And now I'm just like, like I can make crazy faces. Like my expressions get like too much sometimes because my face does a lot more in a way that I find hilarious and fun. So I'm trying to stay on that side of bodies, of my body at least, of the like, wow, all right. Yeah. And are the boys appreciating you making faces? That's a good question. I mean, I think I've always kind of done it with them, but I definitely, they get annoyed with me, I think. I, I think there's there's moments where the, I can feel them thinking like, wow, my mom's a lot, you know? <laughs> it's like, sorry. Oh, they'll love that about you again. Yeah, one day. We have a really interesting guest yes. with us today. I'm super excited about Leo Aquino, who is a poet mm-hmm. and a writer and a financial coach. And he's also the founder of Queer and Trans Wealth, which is an organization dedicated to financial empowerment for the queer and trans community. Amazing. And I came across their work and was just like, oh, we have to have this conversation on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Something that stood out to me is that he's got a pretty anti-capitalist approach to finance and like how he does his financial coaching and writing. So obviously we're down with that. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but for me, well, I do know this about you because we've lightly talked about it, that I have a lot of shame, overwhelm, bad feelings about money. Is that surprises me because you, in my eyes, like you have it together when it comes to finances and stuff. It must be because I I like mask the extreme anxiety yeah. I have around mm-hmm. it. I I mean I was raised in an environment that was pretty stressed about money. Yeah. And that's definitely carried over for me and I feel like a lack of understand. Like I I'll learn things here and there and then I'm like, "Oh, wow, that feels great to know that thing or like to kind of have a little window into that world that other people like just seem to understand it and know it. Yeah. So I don't know if it's like so much attached to my identity as a woman or like my queer identity. Maybe it's just like an intersection of all of the things also kind of being raised a little bit more working class. Mm -hmm. I think it's all of those things that make me really afraid and anxious about money. I feel like almost everybody has this. I, I don't know anybody in my life that's just like, yeah, I invest and I know a lot about it. And I oh, I looked into the portfolio and, and then blah, my retirement. Like what? I, I don't. I feel like I went to school with people that had a really easeful relationship with money. Like I went mm-hmm. to a school, a liberal arts school that was pretty affluent And I just remember having roommates and being like the only one that was stressed about bills. 
Mm, yeah. You know, like, no, we really, we really have to pay these. Like, this is important. Like, we've got to sit down and get this together. And like, everyone around me was kind of like, yeah, it'll just take care of itself. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that there are those people out there. We are not Mm -mm. those people. (laughs) No, I have a phobia almost. I'm like, please don't even talk to me about it. But I'm just like, fuck, I don't know. What do we do? I'm going to guess that there are going to be some people who are like, yes, please demystify finance for me. So I'm excited to hear what Leo has to say about this topic. Let's get into it. Leo, welcome to the Fuck Yeah podcast. Oh my God. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. We like to start people off with a little bit of a warm up. And so I'm going to just ask you a few questions to get us started. What or who is inspiring you right now? Mm, the journalists who are on the ground in Gaza. Oh, uh, yes. Yes. What are you feeling about that? What is it? Oh, my goodness. It's really a lot. It's terrifying. And also, you know, we are witnessing a genocide from like the comfort of our couches, basically, you know, like me, I am, let me, for myself. And I think I'm in a moment of like, cool, like, what do I do with this privilege? And how do I get resourced? Because we're just in a time where it's like crisis after crisis after crisis, you know, like, yeah, just getting better prepared for the next thing and trying to understand like what this moment is teaching us. Yeah. I think that's a question that we're all asking about is like, what do we do? You know, I mean, these journalists are doing amazing work, bringing us these images and these stories. Then what do we do with that information? And we all have to make that kind of choice. There's a lot to do. Calling your reps, spending money if you have Mm -hmm. it, doing research on like, you know, the actual, this is my Thing now is I posted a few things about, you know, organizations to donate to. And I really was only looking at sort of the bigger funds and some folks did some digging and realized, and not that they're bad, but there are some funds that are run and led by Americans where if you're giving money, like it should be to grassroots Palestinian led efforts where they're deciding for themselves, like how the money is getting dispersed. So yeah. So did you find organizations that are doing that? Yeah, I did. I'm going to put out a new list in my newsletter early next week. Sorry, I started off real heavy. No, I mean, I think that we're all in this headspace. I think it's okay for us to start here. And I'm going to want you to do a call out also on how people can get onto your email list, because I think that there will be people who want that information. I mean, a lot of information from you, but also specifically your resource list. So on a little bit of a lighter note, <laughs> who was your first celebrity crush? Hard left. Uh, Mandy Moore. <laughs> oh, man. What was it about Mandy Moore? And where did you encounter her? I remember her from like a walk to remember. Saved the one where she had leukemia. I don't know that one. But then she like falls in love with you know, the dude. And he's like, but I want to marry you. And she's like, but I'm dying. <laughs> so was it the dynamic? No, no, no. So the thing is, I I grew up in the Philippines. And I don't know, when those movies came out, we were like, all collectively obsessed with Mandy Moore. 
And there was this store. It's kind of like the, it's similar to like Mango or like Zara out here, but it was called Pen Shop. And if you buy like a certain dollar amount of things, they would give you a free Mandy Moore poster because she was like a spokesperson or their spokesperson at some point. Yeah. I would keep shopping there until I got like the full (laughs) collection of Mandy Moore posters. Her photo was just like always hanging up in my room. Back in the day when I grew up, I had like long hair, like, you know, everybody else, like very normal. And then she got that short haircut. Mm. I took the picture of Mandy Moore's haircut to the hairdresser and I was like, this is what I want. And I mean, it's always like a really big change to get like a really yeah. haircut, right? But I was a kid. So I was like, whoa, what's happening? And then my cousin came to like pick me up from the haircut. And then he goes, you don't look like Mandy Moore. You look like Roger Moore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mandy. <laughs> what was your first mode of masturbation? You know, good old fingers. <laughs> oh, good for you. Oh, yeah. And my Tweety Bird pillow. Oh, see, there it comes. It takes a minute because we don't necessarily think of that as masturbation right off the bat. So was that a humping situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Humpers. How old do you think you were? Pretty young. Five, six. Yeah, something like that. I mean, if you had a Tweety Bird pillow. I don't, I kept all of my Care Bears until high school. So yeah, I was not actually humping the Care Bears, though. They were somehow the immune from my um. I actually think I was being topped by Tweety Bird. So oh. that's Oh. I mean, Tweety's a little top. Mm-hmm. Tweety top. <laughs> Tweety top. I'm so eager to get into your work. I came across your platform and that you are doing work around queer finance. The concept of wealth in relationship to queer identity, which Mm. just like the second I saw it, I was like, oh, those things to me, at least in my body, feel sort of inherently at odds. And so I love this reframing, reclaiming around the work that you're doing. Like, I, I think it's just baked in to what you're doing. So how did you find your calling and develop an anti-capitalist approach to finance. I'm here for it. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Unravel that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what's interesting is when I started my career as a writer six or seven years ago, I was mainly writing in like the beauty and fashion, pop culture, like sex and relationship space. But sex and relationships was really my entry point, honestly, to anti-capitalism. And, you know, pleasure activism also had just come out like early in my career. Mm. It was really influential. But never, ever, ever did I think I would be writing about money, let alone like airing out my entire student loan balance on the internet for (laughs) millions to see, you know. I just never thought that's like where my writing would take me. But yeah, what happened was I had met an editor who asked me to write an essay. I think I had said something in passing like, yeah, couldn't pay my credit card bills at some point or something. And so I wrote about that and published the article with Business Insider. And it went like super, super viral because I also, beyond like the mental hell that you go through when you can't afford to pay your credit cards and Mm -hmm. then you've got like debt collectors after you. 
And just like the shame, like beyond that, I took the article and I sort of zoomed out and said, there's a bigger system at play here that's profiting off of me, panicking over this and feeling Mm -hmm. frozen and overwhelmed over this. And once I realized that, it clicked for me and it allowed me to get regulated enough to then find the next right actions. So the same time that this article was going like super viral, I was saving up for my top surgery, which is a pretty big undertaking because it's not just Mm -hmm. like it was covered by California health insurance, the actual procedure. But then I had to plan to then take a bunch of time off work Mm -hmm. and, you know, figure out how I was going to feed myself like while I was recovering, like your bills don't stop coming. Right. So I was able to save up over $7,000 in the span of like six months for this surgery. It was a combination of crowdfunding and also just like hustling as a writer. And I did it. And it was the only time that I had ever set a financial goal that I actually achieved it because I realized that what's on the other side is me getting to choose to live my life authentically and knowing that after Mm -hmm. this happened, I would have a long, peaceful, happy, you know, joyful, like pleasure filled life. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. it kind of clicked for me that when we center our like queer and trans experiences in the things that you're supposed to do to survive financially, it's actually way more effective to like approach it from that perspective instead of trying to assimilate to how these financial stories and like the how to's and the step-by-step guides have always been told, right? So after, (laughs) just to circle back, after that one article went viral, I ended up joining Business Insider full-time as a personal finance reporter. And I got to interview Americans all over the country who were dealing with the student loan crisis, Mm-hmm. abortion access and how that affects their finances, different policies like child tax credit payments, anti-trans legislation, how mm-hmm. those things eventually would affect their finances. And once I arrived kind of at that point of talking to so many people and realizing that finances is also a way to connect us as queer and trans folks just to everyone else you know, in the country because mm-hmm. we have the same oppressors, the same enemies, you know, I realized like, okay, I'm onto something. (laughs) What I'm hearing is like you're weaving the noble and never ending quest for authenticity in with every part of your life, like even the part that seems antithetical to it, like finances. In my mind, I'm like, oh, that's, uh, that's some stuff I'm supposed to do. I don't know how to do it. I'm just gonna like, la 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 la, I'm not, I'm not gonna do it. But you're just like, oh, if I approach this through queerness and authenticity, it becomes more manageable because it's actually just a tool Mm -hmm. that you can use to live a more authentic and super queer life. Yeah. An agency. Yeah, an agency. Yeah, I love that. That's a great reframing. Yeah. And you know, I feel feel the same way about sex and intimacy. And I think that's also the thread that I've kind of been pulling at between the two where it's like, I come from an upbringing where it's not okay to talk about sex and it's not okay to Mm -hmm. talk about ways that we're getting kind of shortchanged of pleasure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And in the finance space, there's a certain degree where there's like a stigma around talking about money. Like 
mm-hmm. it's seen as gauche in some circles. Like, oh, don't talk about it. Like, don't talk mm-hmm. about your struggling kind of a thing. And I think there's something about unveiling that shame, which has always been kind of the connecting thread between how I view access to pleasure and also access to financial stability, like economic empowerment, that I think is like where I feel the most called to be of service. Mm-hmm. There's been many times in my adult life where I feel like I've gotten a little peek behind the curtain and I'm like, oh, it is intentional that we do not have this basic fundamental understanding of money, savings, retirement, home buying, debt, all of it. It's meant to be kept in a box, potentially with some shame around it, or maybe that's just intergenerational and that's kind of the story that I know about it. But when you're thinking about like a healthy financial life, and I'm putting that in quotation marks, like what does that look like to you with this reframing that you're doing through your work? To me, a healthy financial life means that I have enough to cover my needs right now not just my needs, my wants also. I have enough to keep doing this for the foreseeable future, enough to cover emergencies. And then I have enough, even in excess, to like then give to causes and people that I care about. And to be able Mm -hmm. to readily show up when people need mutual aid is also important to me. And what about retirement? (laughs) Oh yeah, that's definitely a part of it as well. I think... Anything specific about retirement you want me to touch on? <laughs> or oh just- my God. I mean, are you on track to retire? <laughs> me? <laughs> like, do people actually do it? Like, are people really saving for retirement? Like, I'm just hoping I can still do this when we're in our 80s. You know, like, I feel like I could podcast the rest of my life. So if we get this podcast thing going, then I'll just keep working forever, I'm assuming. Or I don't know. How does retirement work? <laughs> Um, it seems impossible. Like I would have to make so much money to put it away. Anyway, please go ahead. I'm sure there's an answer. That's the thing, right? Like the, the vehicle for retirement in this country is investing. And, you know, I only recently started to actually like pay attention to my retirement account because for the longest time I thought investing is kind of evil. Yeah. I'm the type of person that I like to know where my money goes, like what is my money actually funding? And a lot of the most successful index funds, a lot of the most successful stocks are things that are actively destroying the earth, Yeah, are things that are actively bombing other countries, right? Yeah. And perpetuating this cycle of keeping people enslaved within capitalism. Yeah. For the longest time, I was like, oh, this is the reason I'm not even going to think about retirement, right? But the truth is, especially for queer and trans communities, because of certain collective trauma, also just like Mm -hmm. the discrimination that we've continued to Mm -hmm. face for decades. Even within families. So I feel like there's a lot of queer and trans people that they won't inherit. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Also, if you think about the elders who had survived the 80s, 90s Mm -hmm. AIDS epidemic, that's a lot of trauma to go through to just see people like constantly dying. So like there's a lot of folks who were either unemployed or underemployed for such long periods of time that there was Mm -hmm. never enough Mm -hmm. stability to be putting something away for retirement. So a lot of queer and trans elders, pretty big percentage actually live in poverty. Yeah. 
I would imagine in that time period also, there would be a general vibe around like, we don't even know if we're going to see tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, I, I, I can't even think about putting away for the future. I think that people who don't think about retirement, that's also like a subconscious thing. And it's beyond queer and trans folks. I think for our generations, there's like mm-hmm. climate anxiety. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. the, the world is going to mm-hmm. end anyway. Like, I can't even see myself 70 years from now. Like, you know, whatever. Yep. And I think that the action of actually putting money in your retirement is an act of faith that like, yeah, mm-hmm. one day I will get old and it will be peaceful and I'll have enough. I get to chill out with my queer commune. <laughs> <laughs> I have a hard time. Like in my day to day, I can do stuff like, oh, future Sarah is going to really appreciate if I get these dishes done now (laughs) rather than leaving them for future Sarah. Like that's a really nice thing I can do for myself. When it comes to money, I mean, retirement is something that I'm actively thinking about a lot as I've entered my 40s because I start panic. I'm afraid of money. And I think that the concept of retirement also has a lot of fear baked into it. And financial planning also feels a little bit like a foreign language. Like I'm not very good at it. So like, why do I want to like put a lot of energy into that thing that I'm not good at? And so what's funny is as I've gotten into my 40s, I get a lot of Instagram. The Instagram algorithm sends me women investors, right? Like girl boss style cheerleading (laughs) around money. And I'm just like, oh no, you have gotten it so wrong. Like this is not going to be the thing to get me on board. So I'm just like, for folks like me, you know, single mothers, queer and trans folks, sex workers, gig workers, how do we get a different relationship to this concept of wealth? Because I think a lot of like what capitalism has done is it creates this like wealth culture that I almost feel like I want to reject. And then Mm -hmm. it's also this thing that feels kind of hard and I'm kind of scared of it. So then it's really easy to be like, never mind, it's not for me. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's got to be a way to reprogram. Oh, of course. But also it takes work. (laughs) You know, in my experience and, and what I've witnessed, it is actually a lot more work to name our relationship to capitalism and then do the little actions every single day that you need to do Mm -hmm. to then change your relationship to it. And then once you change your relationship to it, it's like making the choices that are aligned with that. And then you realize how not easily available those choices are. (laughs) Wait, so how how do you change the way that you relate to it. Yeah, because I feel like I sometimes do this thing where my fear of money actually comes out through my actions where like, if I'm flush, I want to send it away. Like I will just like, yeah, I will spend. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, go away from me money. But it's only recently that I started thinking about that of like, that thing of treating yourself sort of mindlessly. I'm not saying like when you're making a really intentional investment in something that you is going to bring you joy, of course, but that kind of mindless spending to me, I've realized is that thing of like, oh, get away from me money. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like, what are those, what are those little actions you can take? We'll see. 
The first step really is thinking about what are the emotions and situations where capitalism sees you and they're like, (laughs) a little claws in you, right? So like when you're in an emergency and you have to make impossible choices is one of them, right? Mm. This feeling of not enoughness, like the holidays are coming. Scarcity. Yeah, yeah. The holidays are coming up, right? So then mm. you're gonna you're gonna feel like, well, if I don't buy this super expensive gift for my kid or my sister or my brother, like they're not gonna think I love them. So why mm-hmm. going to debt? And why not click that fucking buy now, pay later, which is mm-hmm. predatory oh, money in yes. in sight? Okay, loud and clear, please, <laughs> please, people, stay away from that. And then it's the feeling of, ooh, I have a little bit extra right now. I should treat myself. And just identifying the emotions where you find yourself and even also urgency, um, also the feeling of like, mm-hmm. oh, I got to do this right now or the opportunity is going to pass me by, which is true in some instances. But like, I don't know, maybe five or 10% of instances, is that true? Actually, if you look at how the world is without capitalism like what it is in nature like there's a lot of abundance like we have more than enough right and i think just identifying what those feelings are and then every day just being really conscious about you know what i feel my scarcity is up right now <laughs> like i i'm really beginning to feel like there's not going to be enough resources and i'm hoarding up on all these groceries or all these things because i feel like there's not going to be enough just really getting in touch with what those emotions are and they're normal feelings. You did mention urgency. And that really pinged for me because I think Mm -hmm. that that is such a byproduct of capitalism, like the buy now, or you have to have it now. And we've been so conditioned towards like such a high level of productivity, that Mm -hmm. the now sometimes feels very urgent. And I think that spending is really associated with that or like sale culture. A lot of marketing centers around putting things on sale and then Mm -hmm. figuring out exactly how to message it. So you think that it's never going to be on sale again. So now is the time that you have to buy. So like urgency really resonates with me as something to start noticing and then like take one step back and just go, okay, wait. Is that real? The urgency is a big one. And then I am very susceptible to the dopamine hit of purchasing things. Like sometimes I get Amazon packages and I won't know what's in them. And I'll be like, ooh, what did I order for myself? You know, and then I'll look at it and I'll be like, okay, girl. All right. That's, you know, and then I'm participating in the machine again in like a really terrible machine that is, you know, like you were saying, participating in the destruction of our one and only lovely planet. Mm -hmm. So it's Mm -hmm. just like, yeah, like how do you participate in money without hurting the planet and people and participating in enslavement and your own enslavement, you know, and or like investing? What company can you invest in that would pull in enough retirement for you to actually be able to retire that isn't, you know, run by the devil himself. Whenever I talk about changing your relationship to capitalism, it's like, yes, there are certain actions, but people get really frustrated with me because I'm like, yeah, it's also like an emotional thing, right? Mm-hmm. And also to to a certain degree, it's like acceptance of the fact that at some point 
you have no choice, right? <laughs> like, and then finding mm-hmm. like, okay, here's where I have choices. Here's what's out of my control. And then focusing on what are the choices that you can make in the moment. Another thing that I tell folks is that you're never really going to have like a, well, I'm my, my hands are clean off this capitalism thing, you know, like right. never going to be perfect, but it's like just believing that a little bit of an effort to keep moving that needle is enough and hopefully mm. everyone does their part in moving the needle, then we all like shift the system together. Like it's not going to be perfect, but we're going to move the needle, you know? And also the choices that we make today have repercussions for generations to come. Also the fight of anti-capitalism may not be solved in our generation. Like I might not live to see the fruit of my labor really, but like I have enough faith that I know it's going to continue to make an impact. Right. So mindset wise, those are some things. And then Robin, I don't mean to like single you out, but my, might I invite you to cancel your Amazon subscription? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> you know, yeah. There are just, there are just certain things like, cause even for me, Actually, canceling my Amazon Prime was like a huge one, like a huge action. Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to like guilt you, but like that's not. No, please. <laughs> um, you know, it was a huge action for me because I noticed how much time I spent zoning out in the workday, just finding things to buy. Yeah. Things would arrive and I'd be like, I didn't need that shit. Like my life is perfectly fine without this random thing. that. I... But, you know, what was happening was I would feel stressed and powerless at work. And then making a choice on Amazon seemed like this little empowerment moment. It felt like, oh, here's an arena where I have some choices, but they're not real choices. It's kind of uh, aspartame. Like it's not real sugar. Yeah. And I'm spending money there that could go to something a lot better. And I only do it when I'm not doing well. I'll tell you that. Like it definitely, I noticed my my spending on Amazon. I'll be like, oh, maybe I must be depressed. <laughs> like, why are we doing this? But yeah, you're right. I appreciate that, actually. It's also not just Amazon, right? Like you go to Starbucks and, you know, there are folks like all over social media that are like, I know, I, I have so much pride in my very specific custom Starbucks order. And the truth is like within those three or four, five minutes that you're ordering your drink, you feel so empowered by the fact that like, ooh, there's a whole bunch of choices and I can pick my favorite Mm. ones and it's going to feel so good in the moment and someone's going to make something for me. It's that level of like, I'm going to be cared for. Something is going to be made exactly to my specifications and it's so instant and it's like, what, $7, you know? (laughs) And you Mm -hmm. feel like, oh, I can spare $7. And why is it that, Starbucks or Amazon are like, these are the only places where we feel like we can make choices and get that rush of like, oh, I'm being cared for in this way. The care that you're receiving, you know, is empowered by people who are also beholden to a system that exploits them as well. This is a very new idea for me, actually, this idea of this semblance of choice Mm-hmm. being so appealing. And that is something that exists very much in shopping and commerce and coffee. What I'm hearing you say is like, again, it's by design. This like semblance of choice, there's nothing wrong with that feeling good to you. And like wanting to have the hit of dopamine and the like special coffee that's like perfectly made for you, but zoom out a little bit 
and think about some ways in which you might be able to have agency choice on a broader level. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If we think about the dopamine cycle of buying something, it's not really just buying something. It's buying something, the mental math of like, oh, can I afford it? And then like mm -hmm. being in this state of like, oh, sh shit, my finances, uh, it's so tight, you know, and I'm in debt in this area and I'm like, burning through my savings uh, and then the paycheck hits and then it's another like and it just keeps you with this yes, up and down yes, cycle yes. you know yeah as I look to the future I realize like that money is gonna have to be there for medical bills and like so many things that are gonna impact my comfort so it's like how do we make those choices now that are considering sustainability of the planet of our community of ourselves of our bodies like of our old age like all these things it's just like it's not easy but if you really break it down to like even what are three things you can do just today you know break down the goals into smaller and smaller things it becomes a little more manageable right i like to tell folks that i break up budgeting categories into three it's like past present future so under the past, you have your debt repayment, credit repair, and also like, let's put in financial trauma, you know, that we kind of have to unpack and work through those behaviors. So it's not just the actual financial things, but also our emotions mm -hmm. in the past. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Um, in the present, there's the things that we need to survive, like housing, food, transportation. And also I like to add in there, which traditional personal finance folks won't really talk about it, but you know, community, pleasure, fun. Mm. Like these are just things that you need to survive the present moment. And then in the future, there's savings and retirement planning. Also family planning if folks are in that stage of their lives, right? And what I like to tell people is like, if you had a hundred extra dollars and you're going to figure out how to split within these three categories. I would put the least amount in the past, but I would put something, a dollar, five dollars, whatever, something. And then I would focus on, there's kind of a range, like what is the bare minimum, like the ramen budget is what they call it. Like what's the bare minimum that's going to get you through the present moment? And then what is actually like, if you had room to pad your budget for like community and fun and pleasure, like what would that look like as well? And then the rest of it would go towards future expenses. But what I'm saying here is the priority is present, future, past. Mm -hmm. mm. This is not overarching advice or anything like that, but I, I try to tell people, like, depending on what your debt situation is, the trick is really how do we spend the least amount of money paying off debt that you feel emotionally okay with and the numbers make sense and also surviving this present moment and putting enough into mm -hmm. your retirement savings that you'll be in a good place or as good of a place as you can be in that area mm -hmm. it's an emotional thing and then to a certain point we get into the numbers of it because then it's just balancing figuring out what the interest rates are on the debt and then comparing that to the interest rates on your retirement investments and seeing like what actually numerically makes the most sense, right? Because for example, for federal student loans, you're seeing interest rates of like five or 6%, maybe lower if you took out those loans earlier, right? And then if you look at your investing and you're seeing returns of like nine or 10% in the market, 
then to me, it just makes more sense. Like, let's put money in investing because that money is going to grow as you get older. And this debt mm-hmm. is not as expensive. The interest that's going to accrue on that debt is not going to outweigh the returns that you get in mm-hmm. retirement, right? Right. But this is different if you're like in credit card debt, for example, where the interest rates are anywhere from 18 to like 32%. It's so different for everyone's situation, but it's a mix of a numbers game. And also how do we regulate our emotions around finances enough to like, then get to look at those numbers with loving detachment. Sometimes you got to make these hard calls to like credit card companies, student loan, you know, servicers, you got to get quotes for your car insurance, make sure you're getting the best. All, All those phone calls are really hard for me. Someone once gave me the advice that while those phone calls are going on, like just take notes on what they said, how you're feeling in that moment. Then you can look back on the notes and say, here's what was actually said. And here's what I'm feeling about it. (laughs) You know? Yeah. You're not kind of just like zoning out when that hard stuff happens. You know, you could even like, let's say you're in the middle of opening some mail (laughs) from, you know, some, I don't know, some hard money related mail, I would just like go sentence by sentence. And then I would pause and be like, I'm anxious and just write anxious, you know, Mm. just so you're noticing, like, here's how I'm Mm. reacting. And the feelings that I feel about being anxious and afraid and like angry and hopeless are all very valid. But then I have to like somatically remember like, okay, I'm in my apartment. My favorite color is yellow. There's a lot of yellow things in here. I'm like, oh yeah, it's yellow. It's yellow. You know, um, there's a tree outside. Just like remembering where I am in the moment. You're like applying somatics and like harm reduction methods to (laughs) finance, which I think is really great for the community that you're serving. And I do want to ask you about your organization, Queer and Trans Wealth, which is focused on building wealth within our community. And your website, queerandtranswealth.org, just launched. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and where else people can find you? Yeah. So you can head to queerandtranswealth.org to get some really good resources, especially for trans folks who are affected by anti-trans legislation across the country. I've made some guides about cost of living in the safest states to live in the U.S. for trans folks. Cool. That's such a great offering. Yeah. That'll hopefully folks will make better informed decisions about, you know, where to move. I personally have moved around a lot with like zero information and maybe like 200 bucks to like major cities. And Mm -hmm. it's healing for me to be able to make a resource like this available to folks who are going to have to be making those decisions based on harmful legislation in their state. Also, if you sign up for my newsletter on Substack, so queerandtranswealth.substack.com, you will receive a little spreadsheet (laughs) that'll help you save for your gender affirming surgery. And if you put in the date, you put in the amount that you're trying to save, it'll tell you every day you have to save this much, every week this much, every month this much to help you with the goal setting process for that. You can read my work on leo-akino.com. That's more for my writing work. And I'm on Instagram at Queer and Trans Wealth, trying to get on TikTok. 
not I'm not that good at it. I'm a millennial after all, but also queer and trans both on TikTok. Do you do one-on-one consulting as well for finances? I do. Yeah, I offer one-on-one coaching. I am working towards a certification for accredited financial counselor, which is less about retirement investing, etc., but really just like supporting folks who are trying to navigate emotionally loaded finances and, you know, helping mm-hmm. Folks get regulated and make decisions that are not void of emotion, but, you know, are equal parts emotional and logical. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, yes. that my books will be open for that in the new year. I will say there's a very, very long wait list. There's also a sliding scale. My rate for the hour is $150, but the lowest like tier that you could pay will be $55 so that it's accessible to folks who don't have access to these kinds of services. Yeah. And I'm really excited to offer this service. Um, it actually makes me so emotional, <laughs> um, but yeah. Because it's such good work. It's yeah. so needed and it's so helpful. Yes. And help people work through all these feelings we were talking about yes. of like overwhelm and fear and avoidance and stress. And okay, I pulled a card for you. We have mm. some little sweary affirmations that we like to leave our guests with to thank you for this time you spent with us. You are more than worthy. You are a fucking warrior. That's right. That's right. So much. This was so delightful. Yes, it really was. And informative. Enlightening. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Sarah... All right. I want to hear your thoughts. And then I have a couple of thoughts. How are you feeling after that conversation? Leo is so measured. Yes. And like paced in this way that if you were to ascribe an energy or a pacing to an anti-capitalist, like it it felt like an anti-capitalist energy, right? Like, yeah, it wasn't a rushed conversation. It was really breaking it down, like taking it back to the basics Yeah, of like notice Mm -hmm. how you feel. And I think that there's a little bit of that um, dissociation when Mm -hmm. it comes to money that I experience. And I think even more and more as I'm getting older and tired and stuff. And sometimes on the weekends, I'm just like, I don't want to do the bills. I don't want to look at it. Like I just want to not deal with it because it does bring up tension Mm -hmm. for me. But I've never thought to address the tension piece of it. Like really, like it's coming up and it's talking to me and I'm just trying to push through. Mm -hmm. And perhaps if I just like notice it, let it have its voice get a little bit more to the root of it of like what is is this an old story or is this a Mm -hmm. current story I mean maybe I can just approach it a little differently yeah and that and I think that's part of what I didn't anticipate about the anti-capitalist angle of it is that it is very capitalist to just just do it just get it push through it don't think too much about it you have to do your job which is pay bills you know (laughs) so the idea that we stop, we unpack our anxieties, mm-hmm. or we get help with it. You mm-hmm. know, having a partner saying that I didn't have to do it alone was very meaningful. Oh, 
And it's just like, I don't think we have an episode where we weren't given some new level of permission to be mm-hmm. a fucking human being. You know, we live in this world that has so many expectations that have nothing to do with being a living creature, you know, and to approach finances in this, like you were saying, somatic way is really fascinating, unexpected, did not expect that. I thought yeah. he was going to tell us like, you need to invest in this and then you got to do this. And then, you know, I thought I was going to have to like write shit down that I need to do. Yeah, like a step by step guide. And that's kind of what Leo was saying is mm-hmm. like, no, we're, I'm, I'm kind of really going to try to do things a little differently. And I actually anticipate that like a lot as like our work in sex education is about giving people permission, yeah. like there is no normal or whatever. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like that's going to be a lot of Leo's work as a financial coach. Yeah. Like a hundred percent. You're not I, unexpected. I, I always thought of it as like cut and dry. This is what you do. Yeah. Um, and often the answer with just about anything in life, like the real authentic answer is going to be fucking self-reflection. God damn it. This is a, a nice reframing of yeah. like how to look at the Venn diagram, how to kind of take a step back and look at the money. And I also just appreciate it from his experience of having student loan debt and credit card debt and all the feelings that come along with that. Just like taking the paper and actually like writing notes on it, like <laughs> the letters you receive. I was like, oh, that's so great. Putting your feelings. I love Writing that. it down on the letter. Yeah. It seems more manageable and more positive way to interact with any aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was lovely. And such great work that he's doing. So, Sarah. Yes. I have a little segment. Ooh. It might make you mad. Oh, great. <laughs> okay, so I saw a TikTok that was talking about the mortality rates of different jobs and comparing that to the mortality rate of pregnancies. Okay. So I wanted to do a little bit of that. Whoa. These statistics are from 2021, and it is how many deaths per 100,000 pregnancies or people that have the job. Yeah. What do you, what do you think is the most dangerous job as far as what could kill you? And we're not talking military. No. The civilian job with the highest mortality rate. Is it a nurse? No. It is logging. Logging. Okay. Logging has 82.2 people die out of every 100,000. Okay. So that's number one. Number two... Fishing and hunting workers, that's at 75. Okay. Roofers. Oh. 59. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Aircraft pilots and flight engineer, which I'm surprised about, that's 48. Okay. Okay. Now, so we've done the top four most deadly jobs. Now we get to pregnancy. Okay, Okay. so pregnancy in 2021 in the U.S., 32.9. So basically 33 people are dying from pregnancy out of every 100,000. 
And does is this including white women and women of color? This is from the CDC. So I'm assuming so this it's is just everybody. everybody in the U.S. that was recorded to have died from pregnancy. I'm going to venture to guess that black women are oh, dying yeah. at a much higher rate. I bet, yeah. Mm-hmm. Per 100,000. Mm-hmm. And isn't our country have a much higher yes. maternity mortality rate than any other developed country? Yes. So I'm looking at a chart where, uh, and on this one, it's 23.8. This was a different year. That was what the mortality rate in the U.S. was. The next highest is um, France at 8.7. Whoa. Yeah. It's fucked up. Interesting. Okay. So this TikTok that you were watching, did they talk at all about what is contributing to this high mortality rate in the U.S.? No. And the point that they were making and that I also want to reiterate is that being pregnant is the fifth most dangerous job in the United States. And no one should be forced to do that job. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like, here, I'll tell you, cops, Mm 13.4. So we're going to talk about cops. Uh, It's like if we got the same fucking respect, (laughs) you know, That is a really interesting framing. I wasn't clear on where we were going with that. So it's more dangerous to be a pregnant person in the United States than it is to be a cop in the United States, you know? And so when people are talking about, you wouldn't force somebody to be a cop. You wouldn't, you know, I mean, I guess there's the draft and that forces people into the military and into potentially, you know, very dangerous situations. But this abortion issue in the United States does not take into account, and we, and we can say it over and over again, like pre- pregnancy is dangerous. You, you cannot force somebody to go through something so life-threatening, you know? And I just, I think that this puts it in a little bit more perspective about what we're actually talking about. I mean, absolutely. We talked last season about also then the distinction between pregnancy and parenting. Mm-hmm. This aftermath that is really problematic because we have no safety net, mm-hmm. no support system mm-hmm. for raising kids. An interesting reframe that I got out of my certification program, or just mm-hmm. like a language shift that I really appreciated, that I'm going to share mm-hmm. here is instead of saying pro choice, say supporting abortion. Mm-hmm. And instead of anti-choice, say anti-abortion. Mm-hmm. It's just a way to be a little bit more clear and yeah. precise with your language around it. I thought it was like a nice, simple redirect. You know, I'm pro-abortion. I think it does something to destigmatize the word. If we say it more and more and more, it won't be like, you know, such a difficult pill every time. And I don't have the year in front of me right now, but do you know that the medical term for miscarriage is spontaneous abortion? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it has to do with the right wing Mm -hmm. shift to being anti-abortion, where they started using language of miscarriage instead of spontaneous abortion because Mm -hmm. it was a way to continue to further distance the act itself and create weight around that term abortion 
to allow it to have associations Mm -hmm. that they could then fill in, like murdering a baby. Talking about abortion occurring as only a medical procedure that happens when, in fact, like our bodies experience Mm -hmm. spontaneous abortion all the time, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Well, and I think the conversation keeps getting away from women or, you know, birthing people. So it's like we are always talking about the baby, right? And part of what I think this comparison with jobs does is that these are jobs that typically men have only ever been allowed to do Mm -hmm. and are still incredibly male dominated. The inherent value that we put on their lives is culturally easier for us to be like, oh, wow, you know, that many loggers are dying, you know, but then to equate the pregnancy with that same kind of I I feel like it just like drives home how much we ignore the value of women's lives. Yeah, birthing people's lives. So I just I don't want to be a bummer, but since we are doing all these numbers today, I want to bring out a couple more numbers that um, don't make me feel great. But I think it is like it helps, I think, illustrate just how just another layer of fucked up of um, all this anti-abortion going on in our country. Yeah, 100 percent. And I think we've got to keep an eye on the cases that are coming. You know, I mean, there's so many truly courageous women or Mm -hmm. just, I mean, committed women, I'll say, birthing people who are bringing cases against their states for putting them in life or death situations Mm -hmm. by requiring them to go through with pregnancies. I think many of them, I mean, of course, right, when you're trying to find the perfect case, you're picking people were choosing to be pregnant and carry out their pregnancy and either Mm -hmm. expand or start their families. And then horrible complications Mm -hmm. arose during their pregnancy. And I'm really just interested to see how the courts deal with those cases because it seems impossible that they will not change the laws in those states based on these cases. But I definitely think it's something that everyone should continue to pay attention to and also you know, just take care of yourself because like we were talking about with Leo, the world is throwing a lot at us and it's not slowing down anytime Mm -hmm. soon. So do those simple actions, those next steps, those shows of support wherever you are able to and Mm -hmm. try not to let it all just burn you out. Yeah. And put you into a disassociated state where all you can do is shop on Amazon. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know you all do it. <laughs> so please, uh, a, a really meaningful step action support thing that mm-hmm. you can do for us is subscribing, giving us a rating, leave us a review Go to our website, Fuck Yeah Pod, and sign up for our email newsletter. All of these things really help us to grow this community and keep doing this thing that we love to do. Check us out on TikTok and Instagram at Fuck Yeah Pod. And then you can email us at fyapod at gmail. We'd love to hear from you. Fuck yeah. Bye.
Vakia Podcast is hosted and produced by Robin Jennings and Sarah Tom Chesson, aka my mom. Theme music is by She, Her, Sir. Segments are voiced by Kristen Smith Davis. If you're enjoying the pod, please subscribe and leave us a rating or review. And don't forget to share with a friend. You can email us at fyapod at gmail.com or follow us on TikTok or Instagram at fuckyapod. Thanks for tuning in.